At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Thank y'all so much for allowing me to come and uh, spend some time with you all. Uh, It's a joy to be here. Again, my name is John Schroeder. I am one of the pastors at Greenbrier Church. I was one of the core team members who planted Greenbrier Church uh, 13 years ago. And uh, I have been blessed by being a part of that. And God is also calling us to go and plant again uh, the Well Church in America's Georgia, which is only like 38 miles away uh, from that. And we also have a core team that's going with us. And so uh, I'm going through the Acts 29 assessment right now. Um, Jill and I will be going to the conference February 22nd through the 20th. Fifth, which is really, really great. Um, I've already been a part of some of those things just by being with Tim, our lead pastor. Uh, but also, in light of that, that's where I kind of met uh, Kurt and Chelsea. So, from Acts 29. So, it's been really great. They've been a blessing to our body. Um, and so, I'm very thankful to be a part of what God's doing here as well. So, my goal today is very simple it's to leave you all with practices of joy. That's my goal to leave you all with practices of joy. You know, we know that joy is a spiritual gift. Um, we know that it's, uh, it, it comes from the Spirit. Galatians uh, chapter 5 tells us this, verses 22 through 23. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So it's not of the flesh. Joy is not this thing that we can just muster up. It actually comes from the Spirit as we submit more and more of ourselves uh, to Him. But we can practice means of grace to receive this uh, joy that God uh, works in us and through us. And so my hope today, again, is to leave you all with practices of joy. This is something that I've been learning over the last year and a half. Um, Really, really just kind of solidifying that in my own heart and mind and soul. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up in the church, I just, um, as I was considering what God was like, someone uh, once asked us to close our eyes and picture what, what, what does the face of Jesus look like when he thinks about you? And the first thing that came to my mind was disappointment. That's the very first thing. I was like, okay, if I'm standing before the Lord, his face is a look of disappointment. You know, I'm trying hard, Lord. You know, I'm serving you. I love you so much, but I just know I could do better. I could do just a little bit more. And over the past year and a half, God has really started to show me more and more that it's the grace of God that puts me in his presence in the first place, that he has transferred his righteousness to me, and therefore he's taken my sinfulness away. The wrath of God has been completely satisfied. He's not just satisfied in what he did. And then as I kind of go along, he's like trying to figure out, okay, maybe I like you today, right? It's been completely satisfied in Jesus Christ. So therefore his face is one of joy. He has a joyful face when he looks at me. I know my daughter, we have kind of this thing that we do in the morning. We have our morning routine, right? You're supposed to get up, make your bed, put your clothes on, brush your teeth, right? And so Jill and I, uh, we've, we've made some rhythms of rest. And one of those is that we, we get to up together and we read our Bibles together. And uh, sometimes my daughter will come in and she'll look all like, you know, dreary, like, oh, what's going on? What, what's today going to be about? And uh, she'll just come and she'll just like, you know, snuggle in right? And my, in my mind, I'm thinking, has she done her morning routine, right? <laughs> just what I was like, first thing. But then I think, wait, I'm just glad that she's here. Like, I'm just glad that she wants to be with me, that she has this great smile on her face, and she just wants to, to hug me. And I think that that is also what we get to experience with our Heavenly Father. 
who just loves to be with us, right? And so we are not children of God because we did something. He did something, therefore we are children of God, and therefore we act accordingly, but our hope and our, the joy that, that's on the face of Jesus is one. Um, the face, yeah, of Jesus is joyful. So we want to make sure that we're exercising these means of grace to see that this is true. We need to exercise godliness. That's what First Timothy 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says. So this is more of a perseverance gospel that I want to share with you guys today. This idea of like, how do we persevere in this turmoil world that we're in? So I want to help you guys with that, the things that have best blessed me. But also, this is just scripture. This is what God has always said from the very beginning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So there's this understanding that this is true. So in the context, we just read the passage. So this is 2 Timothy. Uh, Just a, a couple quick things. Obviously, Paul is in prison right now. We also know that this is the last recorded letter. Uh, from Paul to his disciple, to his friend. They've been doing ministry together for a really, really long uh, time. So uh, this is something that uh, he wants to do. Uh, we also see uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20, uh, 23 through 28, he kind of gives us a resume of his, of his life in ministry. And it's not, it's not impressive in the sense of all the, his successes, right? So sometimes when we think about the resume of your Christianity, your walk, you're like, okay, well, I've done this and I've done that. Paul's resume are things like this. Well, um, uh, I've been imprisoned. I've been flogged. I've been lashed. I've been beaten with uh, rods, shipwrecked, stoned. Uh, I've been rejected. Uh, I have many enemies. Uh, He's endured harsh weather on land and sea, and he's even had some betrayal. So this is his resume of Christianity. Um, And so he's he's writing from that perspective of coming from a place uh, of darkness to coming from a place of suffering. Um, and he also, we also know in this particular letter that he is at least cold because he asks uh, Timothy for a cloak. He says, hey, in ver- uh, chapter 4, he says, hey, will you bring that cloak? So just think about it. He's in a, pr- a prison cell. Uh, it's probably cold. He probably doesn't have a lot of amenities, right? Uh, and so he's suffering in this moment. Um, and we know that death is approaching, or at least he assumes that, because in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as well, he says, I've finished the race, right? So he has this understanding of like, okay, things are c- continuing to unravel here. I'm probably not going to be able to make it out. And so uh, one thing that he has on, on his, on his, uh, in this season of life is time to reflect and time to pray and time to write. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I was writing to a friend, a, a colleague, uh, someone I've done ministry with, and I was in prison, um, I would probably be, um, I, I'd probably spend most of my time complaining, right? This is horrible. This is crazy. What's going on? I mean, we know that Paul is writing, and the reason why he's there is because he's sharing the gospel, right? He's not, he's not sending outside. He's not trying to change laws. He's changing hearts by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because those hearts are changing, people's behaviors and attitudes are changing, and people don't like it. They want to get that, they want to get, uh, have that stopped. And so, therefore, people are putting him in prison. The Roman government doesn't like him. The Jews don't like him. So he is in prison, not for anything that he has done wrong, but all the things that he is doing for the Lord. That's changing people's hearts. And so I just think, what would I do if I was in prison and sentenced to death because of bogus charges? Like, what would I be doing? I'd be like, you know what? I probably shouldn't have said that thing to that person, right? 
Maybe if I got canceled, maybe if I just didn't say it that way, I wouldn't have been canceled. Or maybe I should have just been a little bit nicer, right? Or, or you know what? I can't believe that they're not giving me any water. They're not giving me anything. Um, and I think that as obviously we'll see that Timothy has tears for uh, Paul, that we as Christians should be praying for people that are in prison. But look at Paul's response while he's in prison. That's what we're doing today. Because why? Because we're trying to learn how to have practices of joy during times of suffering so that we can endure. I don't know about you guys, but I want to endure. I want to make it to the end. And I believe that Paul is showing us by example, and we'll see throughout Scripture, how to have joy, right? So let's look at this again. So Paul is in prison. He's writing to his friend and there are several things that we can glean from this passage, but here are just a few that came to mind as I was reading it and praying over you all uh, this week. Uh, letter A, in times of weakness or darkness, we need to learn to add joy to our suffering. Now, this has probably been one of the most things that has blown my mind the most about uh, learning how to be a believer in Jesus Christ, all right? Because for some reason, this idea is I feel like the goal or the win is to try to remove suffering so that I can have joy. But Christianity and the Bible teaches that as we suffer, we add joy. That's a, that's a whole different concept. I feel like I can't have joy without removing suffering. But scripture says we can add joy to our suffering. And I hope that frees all of us up this morning. Just free you up right? James 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, what do, I mean, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, um, as he's speaking, what does he say? Count it all joy, right? When you face trials and tribulations of various kinds. He's not saying that those trials and tribulations are great. He's not saying, hey, these things are great. He's saying they're going to do something that is great. So therefore, let's go ahead and add joy to this trial, this tribulation, right? Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope that does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has given, who has been given to us. So, so, for, so for some reason, I feel like, Hope starts at the beginning, and then if it doesn't go well, suffering takes place. But what Paul is saying is, that's where we start. We start suffering, and it produces something, right? And so he says, rejoice in our sufferings. He's not saying these things are good. Suffering is hard, right? These things are, 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 are difficult things, but he says we should add joy to it. Uh, another one is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is, uh, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin uh, which so easily ensnares us and let us um, run the race with endurance, uh, that, uh, with joy that's been set before us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and the finisher of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is the one that we're looking at, and what is Jesus doing? Jesus is having joy in the midst of suffering and persecution and sorrow. So another one is Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. This is, uh, Jesus would do parables. It's very, very important that, I, and I'm learning more and more, is that uh, part of our brain, the right side of our brain, is very much about images. It's nonverbal. 
okay? It's, it's kind of the narratives that we put into our lives. It's the things that kind of create who we are. And then by the time it gets to the left side of our brain, we start thinking through that lens. You wonder why two people can get into a room and read the same thing and come out with a completely different thing? It's because part of our brain actually has a narrative. It's like, it's, it's like a movie trailer. It just kind of goes through and goes, okay, that's how I think about this. And then we start thinking about it. And so Jesus knows this, so he gives us parables. He gives us narratives to build uh, the commands of Christ upon. So he says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now think about the things that you've accumulated throughout your life. So this guy is accumulating certain things that he has, property, money, wealth, whatever. And all of a sudden he goes through this field and he finds the treasure. Now we know that what Jesus is speaking of is the field is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ and the treasure is Jesus in the gospel, right? So it's the gospel story. He's looking at it. He sees Christ for who he is. And then he goes and sells all that he has. So there's a part of suffering that's going to take place. He's losing everything in order to gain this treasure. But he does it in joy. He doesn't do it in duty. He doesn't do it in, I'm just dreary. I got to do this thing. But there is joy that's attached to it. So what we're finding out more and more, and again, God created us in his image. These things are, are his. And so as science figures out things, it's not like, oh man, well, obviously... Maybe we should just add this. The reality is that God created us in this way. What we're finding out is joy is what's called a supra-emotion, which means that you can add joy to your emotions. Have you ever met someone who could be sad and joyful at the same time? Someone that can be hurt and joyful at the same time. There is the ability to have fear and joy at the same time. This is what makes Christianity so beautiful and so wonderful to people because you are actually hurting. You are actually sad, but there is hope and that joy starts to fall through. And then people are like, how do you do that, right? You know, and, and one of the things that we've, uh, I, I've shared with my friends and, and fellow colleagues is like, guys, listen, I think it's so amazing because the gospel allows us to be transparent and vulnerable. That's a huge thing in our world right now. And I've enjoyed that. I mean, I, I kind of grew up in the church where all you did was talk about numbers. And you never really talked about your life and your, your struggles and your situations as long as it looked good on the outside, right? And we've done a really great job at how the gospel frees us to confess sin to one another. That's a huge deal. And so as I've been processing that and I've been seeing, okay, man, we're confessing sin. We're being honest with one another. We're saying how broken we really are. We just need to add joy to that. Can we just take the next step and just start to add joy to it? It doesn't diminish it. But the reality is, is that the world is looking at us and we're saying that, that we, we have pains, that we have sorrows, that we have sin. And they're like, oh, okay, they understand me, right? But then we just stop there. So what are we offering them? We're like, hey, come into the kingdom of God so you can kind of still feel the same way you feel because I still feel that way too. It's no, 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 I feel that, but there is joy. And I'm gonna tell you the joy that comes from Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about how we can practice that joy. So letter B. In times of weakness or darkness, we must entrust ourselves to God. This is another practice. So again, the first one is we add joy to our suffering. The other one is that we must entrust ourselves to God. We see this in verses 11 through 12 of Paul's letter. So let me go ahead and read that real quick. Verse 11 says, And of this gospel I was appointed, a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering. Right? 
Yet, this is no cause for shame because I know what I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And then in verse 13 and 14, I'll just read that. It says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love uh, that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in, within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So we must learn to entrust ourselves to God. One of the hardest things, again, in this idea of suffering is that Paul's suffering was ordained by God. We have to see that because we've got to practice joy, right? And so one of the things, again, that, that I've struggled with is the reality that our calling comes with suffering, right? Our calling actually, it actually invokes suffering. This is what God is calling us into. We know that because Paul wrote another letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter one, verses 24 through 25. He says, again, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So God is calling us with our callings, with our giftings to a form of suffering. Now, here's the thing is, we don't need to stir suffering up for suffering's sake. I'm just gonna be honest with you, right? Listen, I, 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 I went to Columbus State University for a while and, and there were some people there that would uh, show up on campus and their whole purpose was because we know we're called to be persecuted, they would do things to make themselves actually get persecuted a little bit more, Right? But let me tell you something. What, what Paul tells us um, in this passage is that he is suffering for the sake of the gospel, right? He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, he says this. He says, we hear that some of you uh, are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. And he was talking about people that are suffering. He said, look, we should suffer. Paul, Peter's saying the same thing. We should suffer for the sake of Christ. But we shouldn't suffer because we just want to stir things up. That's not our thing. So, you know, one of the things that I, we, we talk about with our people and it's like, look, man, like be really mindful of your social media content because most of us, when we get into that mode, we just want to like, we just want to make a point to somebody. We don't really care about their lives. We don't care if they necessarily change. We just don't like what they say. And so therefore it like stirs us up and we care about truth and that's great and we should. But the reality is, is what's the best way to affect that person's life and understanding of the gospel? It's probably sitting down and having coffee with them. Right? So I had a guy one time, I posted something. I don't post much on social media, but he posted this emoji and it was really confusing to me. I was like, I don't know if that's good or bad. I still don't understand emojis sometimes. I'm like, I don't know what that means, right? And so my initial reaction was, I just need to comment and say, hey, you, what, what, what are you thinking about this? But instead, I just gave him a phone call and I was like, hey, I saw that you made a comment. You know, I just want to talk it out, man. Is there something that I've said that was wrong or what, was it misunderstood? We had a great conversation after that. But what I'm trying to do is share the gospel with my friends uh, on Facebook. I'm trying to share the gospel with my friends. And I want to make sure that I'm not stirring things up just to do it but I want to be suffering for the sake of the gospel. So that's what Paul was suffering for. That's what Peter was suffering for. We want to continue to do that. But one of the things that Paul was doing in this letter was he was looking to what was seen, which is the gospel of Jesus, right? But he was also looking to what was unseen in order to entrust himself to God. That's a big thing, right? So we need to continue to develop a doctrine or a theology of suffering in order for us to experience joy, 
right? Because if we think that suffering is not for us or if it's not a part of Christianity, it's gonna be really, really hard to have joy because every time suffering happens, you're gonna think, well, it's because I'm doing something wrong. Maybe it's because you're doing something right. Maybe we're suffering because we're actually fulfilling the calling of Jesus Christ and it's changing people's hearts. And people's hearts are changing. And you know what? The devil doesn't like that. The enemy doesn't like that. Why would he want that? So as we're fulfilling our calling and we're loving and serving one another, even within the church body, we're just loving and serving. We're helping. We're using our gifts. Again, he's talking about fanning the flames, right? He's calling him into his own calling. And he's saying, hey, listen, fan the flames, continue to do this. And in doing so, we need to learn that our calling comes with uh, suffering. And the great thing is, is that we don't have to point just to Paul about this understanding. Jesus also did this very same thing. That in times of weakness, he entrusted himself to the Father. We know that because in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says this, for to this you have been called. Again, right? There's a calling. There's a suffering. He says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Paul was just following the trend of Jesus. Paul said, I trust myself to the Lord. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. And so this is our calling as well. So the third thing, letter B, in times of weakness or in darkness, we need to think of others in similar circumstances. This is what Paul does in this letter. So if we just read uh, a couple of verses from uh, starting in verse 4. So it says, again, verse 3, I thank God. So he's, he's praying, he's thinking uh, about um, the Lord. And he says, recalling your tears. He's in prison. Timothy is not. He's recalling Timothy's tears. I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which you first lived. He's thinking about Timothy, y'all. He's, he, he's on the ground. He's praying. He's probably weeping. And all of a sudden he goes, you know what? Who else might be crying right now? My friend Timothy. Y'all, man, that is an amazing moment when we can get to a place where our suffering leads to praying for other people's suffering. Man, I'm gonna tell you, it always stops with me. I'm suffering, I'm praying, and I'm just like, Lord, help me get out of this. But Paul is in a place where he is suffering. And he's going, you know what? I'm thinking about others right now. That's for us. That is for us. We're watching Paul live this good news out in his life. And he is practicing these things and he has joy in his life. And then again, he, look, look what he does to, uh, uh, to Timothy. He calls him to join with him in suffering. He's like, he doesn't say, hey, listen, Timothy, I've learned what to do and what not to do. Don't do this, right? You'll be in here with me. He actually says in verse eight, um, later on, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then he gives us the gospel, right? He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He gives them the gospel, right? So in times of weakness, uh, we should think of others in similar circumstances. And again, this is not just something that Paul figured out. He followed the trend of Jesus because we see him 
uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where he's talking to another church, and he says, uh, he's talking about, consider others more important to yourself, and then he gives us the example of Jesus. Remember that? That he emptied himself, right? So Jesus thought of others, right? He's on the cross, and he's thinking of others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is our Jesus. This is the one that we say we follow. I want to be a Christian, which means I'm going to follow Christ. What is Christ's example? As he's suffering, he's thinking about others. He looks at John, and he says, take care of, this is your mother now. Mary is now your mother. You take care of her. I'm telling you, I'd be, I'd be like, get me off of this thing. This is crazy. What did I do wrong, right? Um, I'd probably be trying to get back at some people just real quick because they're like mocking me or what. I'm just going to be, that's where I'm at. And God says, no, 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 that's not what I'm calling you into. I'm calling you into this idea that you would think of others in a similar circumstance. So one of the things uh, that we see again as far as practicing joys for endurance, I'm going to give you some practical things that have helped me. Um, again, as we look at this letter, let's go ahead and look at some practice, practices of joy. So number one, number one, we should meditate on the word to seek the face of Jesus. Meditate on the word to seek the face of Jesus. I'm going to give you a practical way that I do this. Again, as I mentioned before, we, uh, some, of our, some parts of our brain are nonverbal, right? So there's imagery. There's things that we need to imagine in our minds that help us to create the narrative that God has given us. And one of the things that you can see is as you read scripture, begin to build that out in your heart and mind. So one of the things uh, that I do is um, I read Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I think about it. I, I, I literally try to picture in my mind, therefore there is, there is such a great cloud of witnesses. All right, now we know in chapter 11, it tells you who the, who the cloud of witnesses are, right? And think about them. Think about Moses, right? Moses saw the promised land, but he never got in it, right? And he's saying, keep going, John. Don't give up. Think about his life. Think about the sufferings that he's, and he's saying, don't give up. I know what you're experiencing. Don't give up, right? We have Abraham, who God promised to be this, 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 this person of uh, many nations being able to experience this beautiful thing. Did he see it? No. And what is he saying? Keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. I mean, we got this huge crowd behind us, right? People that have loved and served God who knew that his promises were true, even though they didn't even get a chance to see all of it to its full fulfillment. So I begin to picture that and imagine that and saying, wow, man, there's just great comfort. Uh, and then I picture Jesus right in front of me running this race as hard as he can, right? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't give up. And I just picture that in my mind and I let everything else filter through that narrative, right? That's where we, that's where we want to get to. So now the narrative is changing in my heart and mind to say, oh, suffering, I must be doing something wrong to, oh, I'm suffering, I might be doing something right. This actually might be the right thing. Am I fulfilling that calling? Am I going with that purpose? Man, but I need to meditate on the word of God. Uh, another thing is that we, and I shared with you guys a little bit earlier about the face of Jesus. There is something that we're learning is that we actually get joy from looking into the face of God. We actually also get joy from looking at the faces of others who look at the face of God. Now, consider this. Again, uh, our sister read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right? Uh, in chapter 3, verse 18, it says that we are being transformed 
Beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed into one image to the next, from one glory to the next, right? So basically what it's saying is if we behold the glory of God, we're going to become like him. So listen, bar none, if you walk away from anything else, think about this. Whatever you behold, you will become. Whatever you behold, you're going to become. So if we're beholding the glory of the Lord, guess what? We're going to become more like him, right? So we need to consider that. So as we're doing that, but then it talks about, uh, it, it keeps going uh, again through chapter four, and it talks about the glory of the Lord. In verse four, she, our sister read it, it talks about the face of Jesus Christ, that the greatest glory that we're ever gonna find is in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to look upon him because his face is filled with joy. And what does that do for us? As we practice, as we meditate on him and we consider what the face of the Lord looks like and it's smiling upon us, it actually produces joy in us. That's what we're finding out more and more, that joy is actually comes from the face. I saw a friend of mine, we were at the daddy-daughter dance last night, having a great time jamming out. And uh, y'all have friends like this, I know you do, right? He comes across, like I didn't know he was coming uh, with his daughter. He comes across, I look at him, he looks at me and smiles hit our face, Right? I, I just enjoy seeing him. He brings joy to me, and I bring joy to him. If he's having a bad day, and I smile, he's like, man, I'm so glad you're here. Because what I'm telling him is, with my smile, I'm saying, I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here. Listen, this is a part of the community of, uh, of Christ, right? Is that we want people to be here. We're glad that you're here, right? So this is the thing that we're growing in, is this is what Jesus says, I want you to be with me, right? I've made a way for you right? Submit yourself to me. You're going to enjoy me, and I'm going to enjoy the fact that you're present with me. I like you being here. I want you to be here, but we need to practice that with one another, that our faces actually express that, right? Because that's what God has given us. Our face actually helps and produces joy in others, and again, this is not just something that I'm, I'm just saying. Psalms, uh, Psalm uh, 4, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, there are many who say, who will show us some good? What does he say? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. What the psalmist, what David's saying is, is when I look at the face of Jesus, there is more joy in my heart. Man, we got to get there. One of the ways that we practice joy is to meditate on the word, to seek the face of Jesus. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24, uh, Sorry, yeah, chapter 6, verse 24 through 26 says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, again, I grew up kind of in a church culture where you're like, if you look at the face of God, you're going to die. Right? And that was true, right? But then Jesus shows up and he makes a way to him so that we can be in his presence. And he enjoys being with us. And what it does is it gives us joy so that we could give joy to others. Joy to others. And again, this does not mitigate the sadness. That's still real. The hurt is still real. But we get to add joy by looking at the face of Jesus, one who suffered just like us and says, keep going. Another thing is that uh, number two is to entrust yourself to the Lord every day morning. Here's what I know. If we don't believe in the good news of Jesus, when we wake up, we're going to go find something to give us good news. No doubt in my mind, you're going to go find something to give you good news, something for you to live by, whatever it is. And again, whatever you're beholding, you're going to become. So you've got to learn how to entrust yourself to the Lord 
every single morning. I don't care if you wake up at five. I don't care if you wake up at seven. That's not what I'm saying. What I do every morning, this is something I've practiced for a few months, is I know pretty much when we wake up, we got the day ahead, right? Boom, 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 boom. All right, I gotta talk to this person. I gotta do this thing. I gotta wake up. Gotta make sure the kid's ready. And you got 10,000 things going through your mind. What I do is I, I sit there and I try to settle very quickly. And I say, okay, Psalm 37, verses three through six. Like that's my, that's my thing, right? It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. That's what I quote every time I get up as fast as I can in my mind. That's what I'm saying right there. Trust in the Lord and do good. Befriend faithfulness, right? And I try to live out of that. So I'm entrusting myself to the Lord every morning. So what is that verse for you? that would help you to entrust yourself to the Lord. Number three, confirm your calling that includes a doctrine of suffering. Christianity is a spiritual war that includes both self-denial, right? So there's an inner struggle there and also a form of rejection from, a form of rejection from the world. So my son Judah, he's going through this little book, this little mini series on the armor of God. And so periodically I'll just ask him, Judah, why do we need armor? And, he'll say, and he looks at me, he goes, because we're in a war, Dad. Y'all, we're not just getting up, making breakfast, y'all. We're not just getting up, going to work. We're at war with an enemy who doesn't just like want to play with us, but actually wants to seek to kill and destroy us. He wants to wipe out you. He wants to wipe out your family. He wants to wipe out your calling. He wants to wipe out your relationships. He wants to wipe out every single moment that he can in your life. You're at war but we have a victory that's already been set. So why can we go into this war with joy? It's because we already have a king who says this is his kingdom, right? So we need to confirm our calling that includes a doctrine of suffering. So with your calling, I don't, I don't care what that calling is. I, I've told several people, uh, I've, I feel like God's given us the gift of evangelism in my own heart and mind. But man, I look at the people with hospitality, I'm like, I am so glad that you're here. Because let me tell you something, in a world that everyone wants to hate people, the gift of hospitality is needed. Like, show up. Like, you come. You know, you just bring them in. I'll share the gospel with them. I'll learn from you. You'll learn from me. And we'll be better off for it, right? But so whatever that calling is, you've got to confirm it in your heart and mind. But also let that doctrine of suffering, as Paul said, with this calling comes suffering. And it's a good thing because it's making us more like him. Count it all joy. Why? because it's producing something in us. So what is your calling, I think, is always a, a good thing to be reminded of. Number four, this is very practical. Again, a practice of joy. You ready? Make a list of people who shared the gospel with you who are, or are currently discipling you. This is what Paul did. Paul was in suffering. Timothy was crying. He was tearing up for his friend. He was thinking about others. Just make a list of people who have shared the gospel with you right? Who have made God known to you. As you are suffering, consider these people and begin to pray for them. When you feel lonely, or even uh, if you feel ineffective, realize that other people have invested into you and they love you. Paul was reminding Timothy of who invested into him. Don't forget your grandmother or your mother. 
Why would he ask Timothy to do that? Because why? Because Timothy's crying. He has tears. So what does he tell him? Don't forget the people that have invested in you. They love you. They pour out their lives to you. They're suffering for the sake of the gospel for you. I think about Tim, our lead pastor, and the suffering that he has put into 13 years of planting this church and walking through so much, uh, carrying the burdens for so many people. And we all as elders have done that in some way. I know one of the first people that should be on your list outside of your family, outside of your spouse, whatever that may be, is Kirk and Chelsea. They planted this church with others and they love you and they pour out their heart to you. They've heard all of your struggles. They've heard all of those things and they still are here and they're fighting for you. Make a list, put them on it and begin to pray for them. I promise it'll give you joy because you'll realize, man, I'm not alone. People have invested in me. They haven't given up on me. Another thing is, is underneath that list, I want you to make a list of people who have di- that you are currently discipling or you have discipled. I think this is another big thing, right? Second Timothy, in the same letter, verse, uh, chapter two, verse two, he says, the th- same things that I've given to you, give to faithful men who will also be able to give to faithful men. So he's saying, he's saying, continue to disciple, right? I've discipled you, you continue to disciple others. Make a list of people and begin to pray for them and make God known to them. This is what Paul did. Listen, Paul knows that Timothy knows what the gospel is, but for some reason he puts it in there, verse nine. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul is giving Timothy the gospel. And I promise you that as he's writing that, he's being filled up with joy. Why? Because it makes us joyful when we get to share the gospel with others. When we make God known, it brings joy to us. I don't know if you've ever been that moment where you're talking with someone and like you're sharing the gospel and you, you almost like, you feel like you're outside of yourself and you're like, it's happening, right? And you're like, man, they're getting it. Or even if they're not getting it, you're just there. You're just enjoying the moment. That's joy. God actually gives us joy by sharing the gospel with others. So make a list of the people that you're discipled, uh, that you have discipled or are currently discipling and begin to pray for them. This is really, really huge. This will give you a practice of joy. Even write them a note of encouragement. I did this uh, for Christmas with two of my friends. I was like, what can I give them for a present? So I went ahead and bought them a journal, two of them. Bought two journals. I opened it up, the bag, and I wrote a letter of encouragement to them. And I said, look, I know some of us struggle with journaling, and these guys struggle with journaling. I'm like, look, if you write the first, the first day and then a week later you come back or a month later or a year later, don't give up. Continue to speak to the Lord. Continue to journal. Continue to engage in the things that God's given you. And I shared the gospel with them in that. That's just a way of encouragement. And it brought me joy to be able to, to know that I have friends uh, that love me uh, and that allow me to pour into them. All right, so... Let's go ahead. All right, so we make a list of people uh, we have discipled or currently discipling. Number six, real quick, pray for enduring every gathering. First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16 and, uh, through 18 says, rejoice always. There it is again. Man, there's so much joy. Uh, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Some people say, well, what's the will of God, right? Is it a person? Is it a place? Should I go here? Should I go there? First Thessalonians says that the, the, the will of God is that we rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. We can at least say that. What is the will of God? Do those things, and you're in the will of God. That's huge, right? So we should always come into every environment expecting to share the good news and to enjoy fellowship with one another. This is why we do our groups, not just because it's something to do. Look, you're not just bringing salad, right? You're not just bringing the dressing and the drinks. 
You're bringing the gospel to bear on one another. You might have a brother or sister who's really, really weak right now, and you need to show up because they need you. They need to see Jesus in you. They need to see that face that's like, I've sinned or I'm struggling or whatever it is, and that face is like, I'm glad you're here. And what that does is it produces joy in them, produces transparency, and obviously as they share, you guys get to love one another and show the grace of God to one another. So begin to pray, come expecting whether that's groups, uh, Sunday mornings, in your ministry, your home, your work, your play, come to every environment uh, praying. And then lastly is um, consider a time for silence and solitude. This is something that's new to me uh, over the past year. Uh, Luke 5, uh, 16 says that Jesus, listen, Jesus, it says, but he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. So this is a part of Jesus's pattern. He would do ministry, and then he would withdraw. Now, this is one of the reasons why he wouldn't tell people like, hey, look, I just healed you, but don't tell anybody. Why? Because as soon as they told people, all these crowds start showing up. He's like, I just need to get away to pray. I want to, I want to be in silence and solitude with God, right? We think that during the time of uh, when, when Jesus was in the wilderness, that that was, uh, oh man, he was getting weaker because he, he wasn't eating. Actually, he was getting stronger. Why? Because he was in silence and solitude for 40 days. What if you guys were in silence and solitude for 40 days and the enemy came to try to attack you? You'd be, you'd be amped up. You'd be ready to go. You're like, man, I've been with Jesus for 40 days. What do you got? Right? Silence and solitude. We need to pray and consider a time for silence and solitude. You could do that throughout the day. Maybe two to three minutes a day. That's called a daily office. You can do that. Uh, uh, me and my wife, our family, practice a Sabbath once a, once a week. So we kind of do a 24-hour period of time where it's just us and we celebrate and we, we thank the Lord and we have dinner together. So we do that. You can also do it like once a month, take a day off. You know, consider that at least half day and say, look, I just need to get away with silence and solitude. So these are ways, practical ways for you to develop uh, joy in your life. So I'm gonna just say them again and then I'm gonna pray for us. Meditate on the word of God and seek the face of Jesus and trust yourself to the Lord every morning. Confirm your calling that includes the doctrine of suffering. Make a list of people who shared the gospel with you who are currently discipling you and pray for them. Make a list of people who have, you are discipling or have currently discipled and pray for them pray before and during every gathering and consider a time for silence and solitude. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who loved us, who suffered and died for us, for the joy that was set before him. He endured this. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, Lord, let us learn by example of our friend Paul, and Timothy, as he suffered uh, in prison, recalling the tears of his friend and minister in the gospel of Jesus, Lord, that you love us. Lord, that we don't have to remove suffering, but we just have to start adding joy to our lives. And that's going to be hard. But we do that by seeking your face, by trusting in you, by believing that you said that everything that you said, everything that you said about yourself is true. And then we get around people that remind us of that every day. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, 
share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.